Anybody remember 1999? What do you guys remember about 1999? Anybody have, remember anything? Y2K. What's that? Oh, Y2K, Y2K when every, all the computers were supposed to blow up, right? I was so hoping because I was so ready to prep and be all good without electricity. And I could show everybody how to really live that My way. My mom still has a Y2K closet. Oh, wow. <laughs> right on. 1999. Linda, what do you remember about 1999? Yeah, my baby girl Emily was born. She's getting ready to graduate like next year. And uh, she was born. 1999, what else? Anybody else remember anything? 1999? What do you, Y2K, you remember that? All right, no other second. Man, you know what I remember from 1999? It was an epic hurricane year. Oh my goodness. If you think back, how many of you remember Hurricane Dennis? Floyd, Irene, anybody remember those? Perfect storm. Oh my good, yeah, dude, every, it seemed like every week we had another epic hurricane that was coming, and I was living in Orlando at the time. I was a youth pastor at a large church there. I was a weekend warrior. Every Friday, my family and I were at New Smyrna Beach surfing in the morning until Ashley had to go to school, and we didn't pick her up afterwards, and she was so jealous. But uh, we'd go on Fridays. Every kid in my youth group, anybody who was at my house at 6.30 in the morning on Saturdays, we'd go surf. We started with one caravan. Then those kids learned to surf, and they started driving, and then we ended up having like six, seven, eight cars all full of kids and surfboards pulling up, 1999. And that year, man, we had Floyd, Dennis, and Irene. I remember there were more than that, but I remember those storms. They were epic because what would happen is they'd sit right off our coast, and they would start aiming at us. And when they started aiming at us, we had these telephone pole size waves. Floyd was so big, Orlando was worried about getting swallowed if Floyd wouldn't have taken that right-hand turn. And uh, so these big telephone pole, 45-degree waves as the storm's pushing in, coming at us. And I remember uh, <coughs> surfing at New Smyrna, and you would paddle out so far, out in the ocean, so far to be out past where the set waves are coming in, that, man, you couldn't even see anything. It was like Pirates of the Caribbean. It would be foggy out there, and these giant waves are coming in, and maybe there would be one or two other longboarders out there because the shortboarders didn't want to paddle that far out. And we would be out there, and all of a sudden, man, a giant set wave would come, and, and then all of a sudden, you, you see that set wave, and you paddle out as fast as you can because if a set wave's coming, it's going to break a little further out. And if you get slammed in that set wave, Man, you're pushed down the bottom, which I'm going to talk about. But you paddle out because the next set wave is going to break a little further out. The next set wave is going to break a little further out. And you don't want to get pummeled. Anybody here ever got pummeled by a set wave, telephone pull side set wave? Yeah, what's it like, Jack? Yeah. Yeah, so tell me if I'm lying when I talk about it, all right? But so, man, where you get pummeled by a set wave. So as soon as you see a set, man, you turn around and paddle as fast as you can in hopes that you'll be out far enough so when that set wave jacks up, you can take off on it and you can drop in and you can ride it. And, uh, and, and that's just when the hurricane's coming. And then as it starts making its turn, things might get a little messy, but once it passes us with the counterclockwise spin, we have not only those big waves, we have west winds that will literally hollow them out and you've got these big stand-up barrels that's a far cry from what we've been surfing, Dustin. That one time I took you out and you're on your little foamy with the mush that we're trying to catch. Yeah, stand-up barrels, man. It's just, it's the, it's, it's everything you've been hoping for. Isn't it everything you've been hoping for? Yeah. yeah. So, so literally, man, you, uh, it, that most epic wave. So it started with Dennis. Dennis hung out and started coming, and we knew that was going to turn. Floyd, everybody was scared. 
And we were surfing New Smyrna, Turtle, uh, uh, Bethune Beach there, and it was phenomenal waves. Day after Floyd went by, epic, just head high barrels. I remember Irene specifically because my pastor kind of, I'm the youth pastor, so I wouldn't preach. I had my youth. I got all my responsibilities. I could work my surfing and the swells and the break and the tides all around all that. Well, he messed up and went to India on some mission trip. And so I had to preach. No, I'm just joking. I, I remember the day that Irene went through. She went through on a Saturday. I remember we were at the Wayland's house, at the, the, some kind of Jamaica mission trip, you know, celebration afterwards. The next day, Irene went by, and there were just, the, it was glassy, west winds, head high barrels. And as soon as I got done preaching, man, I bolted to the beach and surf some of the most epic waves I've ever surfed. Dustin, I'm telling you, I, I'm goofy, man. I would, well, you know I'm goofy, but I'm goofy foot, all right? So I would drop in and make this hard bottom turn, and I would just kind of pull in. Now, this was 20 years ago, so what, I was like 36 then, <laughs> I think. Way different than now, probably 20 years ago and 20 pounds of difference. But, man, pull in, and Dustin, I'm telling you, I'm just standing there with these head-high, backside, overhead, backside barrels until you were done. It was so much fun. But that's what I remember of 1999. But in addition to that, I really remember getting pummeled. How many of y'all remember a pummeling you have had by waves? Anybody? A pummeling. Here's what, again, what I'm saying is you go out, you see a set wave coming, you better paddle as fast as you can because if you don't, and that set wave, telephone pole size, palm tree size set wave pounds you, Man, it can snap your board, it can knock you off your board, you go to the bottom, your leash is getting stretched, man, it's tombstoning, and last thing you want to hear is pop. Sometimes you want to hear pop, but you're just down on the bottom. If you're lucky enough to catch a wave and ride it, you got to figure out when to pull off. You're wanting to ride this epic wave, but you're sitting there thinking, man, i got to pull out the right time because, because if, I, if I wait till it's too steep and wipe out, it's going to pummel me on the bottom. If I ride it too far in, I've got to paddle back out through and it's going to pummel me. So it's a life of being pummeled, but it's so awesome. Anybody rode epic set waves from hurricanes? Dude, would you do it again, bro? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Even in spite of the pummeling and the gospel's the same way. I'll share that in a minute. But I want to tell you about the pummeling, man. Here's what happens. You get pummeled and you're down on the bottom. And man, when you're down on the bottom, you hopefully have a lung full of air. All right, that's one thing you sort. If you're ever going to get pummeled by a wave, get a lung full of air, all right? Just a just little, little wisdom there. And you're down on the bottom, and literally these giant waves, they're reaching 10, 15 foot down, and they're still pummeling you, even though you're, you're grabbing the sand on the bottom, trying to hold on because you don't want to get too far from where you were, and you're just trying to stop from turning. And you're turning around 10, 15 foot under the water. You got only limited air. You can't freak out, right? Because panic what, Ashley? Panic what? I've taught every one of my kids, panic kills, man. Panic kills, dude. You panic and freak out, you're done. All right? You might as well just give me your song service for your funeral. We're good. But I'm just saying, panic kills. So you got to hold your breath, man. You're down there. And you're just kind of like trying to enjoy the ride. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because if you freak out, you panic, you tighten up, you're going to break something, you're going to get smacked. If you could just stay kind of limber and really just dig being down there. I mean, when's the last time you got to get pummeled and rolled 10, 15 feet under the, under the water with limited air? I mean, you might as well enjoy the experience, right? Like Cherry's going to be doing next week when he's diving with big tiger sharks, right? Just enjoy the experience, man. <laughs> But I'd have a stick if I were you. But anyway, so 
You're down there getting pummeled, so you just relax. You chill. And, I, and what you really need to figure out is which way is up. Because I'm going to tell you what, you lose track of which way is up. And it's not hard to lose track of which way is up. So as I'm getting pummeled and as I'm rolling, there's nothing I can do to fight a current. Don't ever fight a current in the ocean. You will lose. That's how people die in rip currents. Just go with it, man. It's going to stop at some point. So for that split second between set waves when it stops, you're down at the bottom and all of a sudden you feel yourself going like this. What I would do is I would try to figure out how much of my breath I didn't need and I would blow some bubbles. Now, which way do bubbles go? Uh. Up. And that was so I could figure out which way was up because I didn't know which way was up. I had been turned upside down the same way this world turns us upside down and even thinks it's the right way. And I would blow some bubbles and I would see which way it was up. If I didn't see anything, I knew I was totally upside down because they were going this way. But man, I'd blow some bubbles and then and everything I had in that calm, I'd come to the top. And as soon as I could get my head above water, what did I want more than anything? Air. Air. And being ready to get pummeled again because sometimes you'd be held down for two, three, four set waves. Bam! And then you just go through that experience three, four, five times until you can get back up again. And if you still have a board and you're connected to it, and then you get on it and you paddle back out to do it again. Amen? <laughs> yeah! What a beautiful picture of what we're going to look at today in the gospel in Luke 17. Man, what a beautiful picture because when you know which way is up, man, you know what? That, that's important. If you're going to turn something upside down, you've got to know which way is up. Have you, did it, how many of you type A people were really upset because some of these things were upside down today? <laughs> did you notice some of the PowerPoint? You probably couldn't even sing. You're trying to like, you know, and, and, and I turned those upside down. I was waiting for somebody to turn them right side up, but... Man, you know what we're talking about today in Acts 17 is turn the world upside down. That's what God has called us to do as ambassadors for him, is turn the world upside down. Now, again, you know the verse where he says, you have been created as a new creation. All things old have been passed away and everything's new. Well, man, don't forget to read the next part because so many people are like, oh, yeah, I lost my addiction. Oh, yeah, I lost it. Oh, yeah, I'm a brand new creation. Now to do whatever I want in Christ. No. He created you as a new creation to be one thing and one thing only, and that one thing's an ambassador. That's what he created you brand new to be. That's why he took away the addiction. That's why he, he brought you help meets in your life, man. That's why he's put you where he's put you. He's given you the Holy Spirit who wrote the word of God and helps you understand it. It's so you can be an ambassador. And in the Christian world, we have a messed up version of, or idea of what an ambassador is. We think we know what one is out in the world, but in Christian, we think an ambassador is somebody that makes everybody, everybody just like them. And what an ambassador really is, if I'm an ambassador for the United States of America, and I go to Haiti, which we do go to Haiti, and I love Haiti, and I go there, my job as an ambassador is not to make everybody an American, is it? No. If I go to Haiti and try to make everybody an American, I just messed everything up. But what I do is, I re as an ambassador, I represent my kingdom. I represent where I am from. I represent America. I, and that's what they want me to do, man. I represent and I show them love. Now, if someone wants to defect, as an if I truly am a, a political ambassador, I have the ability to allow them to defect and come into the kingdom that they wish to be in. So as an ambassador for Christ, what kingdom do I represent? And where do I represent? Do I represent it in the firehouse? 
Absolutely, in tough times. Where else do I, do I represent it in the middle of this? Oh, by the way, that storm, you will get used to it. You'll be like driving, like looking at people, laughing at Like, look at them, they're pulling over on the side of the road. One day, it won't be so terrifying. But yeah, while you're driving in this torrential, terrifying storm that's really ready to fry you, like you're in a giant micro. Did you feel like you were in a microwave when all that lightning was going? You're like, we're going to be fried. We're going to be like popcorn, you know? Yeah. Do you represent them there? How about on a sandbar? Yes, out on the lacrosse field, yeah. Everywhere you go, we're his ambassador and we represent the kingdom of God. Our job's not to make everybody part of the kingdom of God. And in fact, we'll be a lot more effective in being used that way if we, instead of trying to make everybody part of the kingdom of God, we just simply represent it. Amen? Amen. If we worry about us, we spend time making ourselves, uh, living our life like the kingdom of God, there's natural attractance there. There's natural power there. God can use us mightily. What the world doesn't want to see is some hypocrite trying to get them to defect over into their kingdom that they don't even like being a part of. And that's what the world sees so often. If we focus on being ambassadors to our, to the kingdom we're part of as believers, man, that's the real deal. And people want to see the real deal in this. So... That's how God wants to use us to turn the world upside down. But there's a couple of thoughts here in turning the world upside down. Just like that giant set wave, just like getting pummeled. To turn the world upside down, you have to know which, it, what is right side up. When I'm down there pummeled and I'm hanging on to the bottom, I could swim like crazy. And if I'm swimming parallel to the shore, I'm not going to get air, am I? <laughs> you know, I got I to gotta use all my efforts and energy to, to get up right side up, but I gotta know which way is right side up. And I want you to understand that the world, the world believes that right side up is upside down. Do you know that? Do you watch the news? Do you, do you, do you deal with people out there? Do you even, even have, have your own flesh that lies to you and, and wants you to do things the wrong way? The natural way to do things is upside down and the world's totally okay. They send us to college to learn how to do it upside down. They send us to school to learn how to do it upside down. They put pressure on us, peer pressure to do it upside down. The world's way is upside down. And what God has asked us to do as ambassadors is to show them which way is right side up and turn their world upside down. And this is what Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke did in the book of Acts. They, God used these people to simply turn their world upside down. And he wants to do the same with us. Okay? So we turn the world upside down. In order to turn it upside down, we got to know what is right side up. So take a look at me. It's up here. You can look in your Bible if you'd like. Starting at verse 1. Uh, they just gotten out. They just planted the church in Philippi. Things were, you know, all going there. They kind of got kicked out of there. So what do they do? Have you ever noticed the trend? They plant a church. Some people get saved. Some people dig it. A church gets started. God brings leadership. And all of a sudden, Paul and those guys get run out of town, right? Well, what would happen if God didn't run them out of town? Where would Paul be? At the very first church he ever started, right? So part of God's plan is to run Paul out of town so he keeps going. And then later in Paul's life, when he wrote the book of Philippians, he said, God had to chain me in prison to be able to write this stuff. God had chained me in prison to be able to minister to these people that are here. So sometimes God chains us up and sometimes God runs us out of town, right? 
But the fact is, is we got to go and do what God wants us to do. So here they are. They get run out. Paul and them get run out. They get taken out. There's still a church going on in Philippi, one of his favorite churches. But now they travel for three days, and they travel 100 miles. 100 miles in three days. And they didn't take the car. They didn't take Amtrak. They didn't take a plane. Many people think because they had to do 30 miles a day and stuff, they probably were on horses. I just never imagined Apostle Paul on a horse, you know, but that's probably how they did it, right? They went 100 miles and, and to get to the next place, which is Thessalonica here. And um, if you want the correct, correct pronunciations for these A words here, you'll have to, Mia, raise your hand. And Aphrodite, they'll tell you the correct Greek. For, I am going to butcher them so bad, but I'm going to butcher them like I own them, all right? So it says now when they pass through... And how do you say it? How do you say the word? Amphipolis. Okay, yeah. I, I was going to say Amphipolis. That's my southern version of it. No, Amphipolis <laughs> and Apollonia. Yeah, when they passed through these places. In other words, the first night they stopped at Amphipolis. Uh, next place they stopped at Apollon, Apollonia. They stopped there the next night. And then the next day they got to Thessalonica. All right. I know Thessalonica, that's pretty good. I've heard all the preachers say it that way before. All right, so they came to Thessalonica where there were a synagogue of Jews. That was Paul's gig. That's what Paul did. Paul was a, before he got born again, he was a, a, trained by one of the most famous rabbis. So he used the gifts God gave him. He had to just walk into a synagogue, which is a place where 10 or more male Jews, heads of families, would have a place of meeting. And he would walk in and, and they would say, oh, aren't you the dude trained by Gamaliel? Yes, I am. And they would give him a prominent place of order where now he had a right to speak. And then he turned their world upside down when he said, hey, guys, I was wrong. And all of this points to Christ. And now I, what I'm going to tell you to do is that this Jesus that we that we crucified is the Messiah. He is God. He's the one we've been waiting for. And you need to surrender your life to him. Everything you know about yourself to everything you know about him. And when you make him Lord and master of your life, it turns your life what? Upside down. How many of y'all had your lives turned upside down when you gave your life to Christ? But it's in a good way. <coughs> the world wants you to keep digging to where there's no hope, where there's no air. Where you're just hitting the bottom. That's what the world wants you to dig to. When Christ turns your life upside down, now you're, you're going up and now you're finding air. How many of y'all found a fresh breath of air when you found Christ? Anybody? That's it. So Paul comes in and says, you're, dude, you guys are going the wrong way. I want to turn your life upside down by you believing Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. And, and go, get, go, go, go where there's air, where there's hope. So when they pass through... Uh, these two places, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. That's his M.O. of how he went. And he usually went to big cities, because from there, then there were people that could go out and minister in the smaller cities. And that was the way they planted churches. And Paul, that's how Paul did, how God, the Holy Spirit, led him to do it. So Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days. What's, when is the Sabbath? Anybody tell me it's Sabbath? Saturday. Saturday. Okay, it's not Sunday, okay? Contrary to what your country preacher told you. You should be here on the Sabbath, Dad. No, he's like, no. Uh, Sabbath is Saturday, okay? This is the day we celebrate. What do we celebrate on this day? The resurrection. Yeah. And so, again, on the Sabbath day, he went on on Saturdays, three different Saturdays, so three weeks in a row. Do you think Paul did anything in the meantime? Do you think he did anything during the week? Yeah. So he goes in on Sunday, and he taught, 
and he stirred up some questions, and, and, and then he met with people all week and helped them see life from God's perspective, and he did that for three weeks, it says, three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them. What does it mean to reason with somebody? Anybody? If I was, Bill, if I was, have, has your wife ever tried to reason with you? Barb, Lord knows you probably have, and he didn't get that. Bad example, sorry. No, but listen, that's all of us, bro. What does it mean to reason with somebody? <laughs> okay, you're right. Make him see it your way. And that is, Paul did. You're exactly right. Paul was trying to make them see it his way because he knew his way was the right way because the Holy Spirit of God had revealed it to him. Now, you are not the Apostle Paul and you're not his Holy Spirit, but just saying. All right, a little free marriage counseling there. All right. Not that I'm that good at it, but all right. So, again. Well, when he reasoned with him, but wasn't he just went in and beat him over the head with a Bible, came in with a scriptural machine gun, you know, that's not what he did. He reasoned with him. And when you reason with somebody, don't you, you, you inspire them to ask questions. They question you, you question them, and you have to have a basis of what you're reasoning with. What do you think Paul used as his whole basis of reasoning How about the word of God? That's what the scripture tells us. He went in with the word of God and from the Old Testament scriptures, Isaiah, from the Psalms, from everywhere. You cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds, man. And they knew the Old Testament and he reasoned with them and showed them how it was all about Jesus. And so they would ask questions. Well, what about this? What about this? And he would answer them because, again, it wasn't him giving the answers. He was working on behalf of God, and he had the Holy Spirit of God in him share, giving you the answers. What did Jesus tell us in Matthew, or not Matthew, but in John 14, 26 about the Holy Spirit? How many, first of all, before I tell you that, how many of y'all are afraid to get in a, in a conversation with somebody about spiritual stuff because you're afraid you might not know the answer? Yeah. I think that's straight out of the pit of hell. I'm just telling you, because John 14, 26 Okay, 1426, when Jesus was promising the comforter, the Holy Spirit, or as, as we talk about in Monday night, the word for it is paraclete. That's our American version of it. But, but like Carl says, he's a par the Holy Spirit's a paracletes that helps us dig in. Now y'all will never forget that, right? A paracletes that doesn't allow us to get pushed around. But the Holy Spirit, he said, I will help, I will help you. I will let you know everything that you need to know in any given situation, and I will... I will bring to remembrance all the things I've already taught you. So he's going to teach us everything we need to know in any given situation, and he's going to bring to remembrance all the things we forgot. So if there's something you need to say, you're walking in the Spirit, and you're on his, speaking on his behalf, is he not going to give you the answer? And plus, all you need to share the gospel is to be able to tell people what he's done for you. If you've been saved, you've got enough. And it's not against the law to say, I don't know. I don't know, because there's a lot of things we don't know, right, Seth? Absolutely. We are learning all the time. There's things we don't know, and we got to say, I don't know. And if I can, I'll find out. But a lot of that stuff has nothing to do with salvation, man. Sometimes God just wants us to keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is Christ. So in here, Paul went on, he, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them. He didn't beat them over the head. He didn't try to trick them. He had conversation with them. And again, if they had a desire to know about Jesus, who gave them that desire? Who gave them? The, Spirit. the Holy Spirit gave them that desire. And if the Holy Spirit's not giving somebody a desire, 
you can talk to your blue in the face and nothing's going to happen. Now, if God tells you to talk to that person until you're blue in the face, that's what you do. But you might be planting seeds. You might be doing, I don't know. You're obedient to whatever God wants you to do. But he reasoned with them from where? What did it say? From the scriptures. Not from Dr. Phil's last series, okay? Not, not from some dude's book, okay, about the Bible. Not from what, where did he reason? What was his whole, his whole basis, of, his whole foundation of reasoning? Where did it come from? Scripture. What's the most important book for us to know? Yeah, the word of God. And dude, somebody told me once, it's like an onion, man. You peel it, and each time you peel it, each layer gets stronger and more potent. Man, you can read the same thing again that you read last week, and it'll mean something different, especially if you're willing to accept it and apply it to your life. And so he reasoned from the scriptures. The scriptures, are they true or false? So do you ever have to worry about math? you ever got to worry about the scriptures being proven wrong? You spent your whole life teaching this, and all of a sudden one day I'm like, oh, hey, guys, I am really sorry, but no. I could pour my whole life into the scriptures because it's always right. doesn't mean I always get it right, but it's always right. So that's what he reasoned. Explaining. What's the difference between reasoning and explaining now? What's explaining, Seth? How would you define that? Using your words. <laughs> <laughs> Using illustrations in some way. In some way. Turn it upside down. Any way you can to try to make it make sense the way God has allowed you to see it. You're trying to help them figure, understand it so they can apply it. So you reason and then you explain it. And again, you try to use everything you've got to explain it in a way people can understand it. Explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. Now, why is that the thing that he's so busy about, uh, about explaining and proving and doing? Because that was the foreign concept to them. They thought a Messiah was going to come in and be a military leader and kick Roman butt. If you're, if you're poor, what do you want God to do? Give you cash, right. If you're sick, what do you want God to do? Heal you. If you're oppressed for hundreds of years, what do you want God to do? Free you. And that's where Israel was. Be careful. You don't pigeonhole God into one of those things and create your own version. He's all of those. But they missed him because they were looking for somebody to liberate them from the Roman oppression. And the, prior to, after they had the Greek oppression, after they, they had the, the Persian oppression and Medo-Persian and uh, Babylonian and Assyrian oppression, they've been oppressed for years. They wanted a, someone to free them from that. And he came and said, no, I want to free you inside from yourself. I want you to be, I want to be the king of your heart. And then it doesn't matter what's going on out there. But they didn't understand. They thought, actually, uh, some rabbis taught that there was going to be a, a Roman butt kicker Christ come in. And then there was going to be a, 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 a suffering servant Christ come in. You know, they didn't see it the way. It, they cut it backwards. <laughs> he is going to come back one day and take over this world. At that time, you want to take over your heart. And we'll talk more about that at some other point. But the fact is, is that. That's why he's expressing this to them. It's the answer to the questions that they had. This Jesus whom I proclaim to you, he is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one we've been looking for forever. Ever since Adam and Eve, ever since Eve said she was told she was going to have a kid that was going to crush Satan's head, the serpent's head, and bruise his heel. We've been looking for this. He's the one. And he explained to them out of the scriptures that Christ is the one. 
And look what happened. Some of them were persuaded, and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks. So some of the Jews in the synagogue followed Paul and Silas, said, yes, we believe he's the Christ. A number of the devout Greeks did. And look at this. I love how he writes this. Paul writes it. And what? Not a few. When you say not a few, what is that another way of saying not a few? A lot. A lot. Yeah. I would. But he made us think about it. He wrote it this way, so we think about it. And not a few of the leading women, but a lot of the leading women. So look who he's, look who got saved by the power of the Holy Spirit and, and, and the sacrifice that Christ performed on the cross. Look who got saved, man. Uh, a bunch of Jews who now know he was the Messiah they're waiting for. A bunch of devout Greeks who have been trying. They were sick of the Greek religion. They came to the Jewish religion and knew that wasn't it. And now they found Christianity and not a few, but a ton of the leading women. Hey, can a, a bunch of leading women stir up uh, anything? <laughs> yeah, Barb, you can do it all by yourself, can't you? And I, could, I could point all over the place. That's why I'm looking. I, I, yeah, dude. I'm going to shut up right now. <laughs> but look who he picks to start the church in Thessalonica. <laughs> Man, did God plant a church or what? So is Paul needed there anymore? Well, not as long as he leaves somebody there to disciple them or Paul disciples. Paul's probably so in love with everybody that just got led to the Lord, that just saw life from God's perspective. He's like, oh, we'll stay here. This will be awesome, but look what happens. <coughs> Remember I told you, in order to show people what's right side up or uh, uh, never turn, turn the world upside down, you got to know what's right side up. Well, I told you also the world to the world upside down is right side up. So there's going to be some people because upside down is right side up to the world. There's going to be some people that aren't going to be happy about what just happened there. And here we see it again. But the Jews were what? Jealous. Yeah. There were a bunch of Jews who were not happy that, that somebody found the Messiah, that other people believed in the Messiah. And you know what they weren't happy about? They were, they were not happy they were going to lose their power. They were not happy that now their Jewish synagogue that was growing so nicely is now infiltrated and, and they don't have. How many of y'all are not so happy when God turns your world upside down? When he just rocks the boat a little bit. Change, oh, pardon the pun there, Diana. He rocks the boat. <laughs> don't rock the boat, baby. <laughs> right? he, yeah. So the Jews were jealous because their boat just got rocked and they didn't see life from God's perspective. They were trying to grow a church and not make disciples. They were trying to grow a religion and not make disciples. They were not trying to find God. They were trying to find a system that they could find security in when they missed it because all they had to do is surrender themselves to Christ and they would have found everything they needed. The Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of, rab of the rabble. <laughs> How many of y'all used to be wicked men of the rabble, Carl? Did you used to be a wicked man of the rabble? <laughs> yeah, what a great way to just, you could have said, Seth was a wicked man of the rabble and you were a wicked woman of the rabble. I mean, that's how, we could use that. And people say, what? Now we can explain our testimony, right? You know, with, uh, you know what they did? They're instigators. They didn't really want to get caught doing this. So what they did is they found people that they could stir up easily and they could get them to now do their fighting for them. Wicked men of the rabble. They formed a what? They set the city in a what? Upper. They attacked the house of Jason. Now, Jason 
we imagine is a dude who got saved in this revival that happened in Thessalonica, and he was a prominent man. And just like we had Lydia in Philippi, who was the center headquarters for the Christian church, Jason's house probably was now the center headquarters for it. That's why God had given it to him, and he didn't even know that. So they attacked the house of Jacob, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. They were looking for Paul and Silas is who they were looking for. They wanted Paul and Silas, and they wanted to kill them. They wanted to get them out of there, and they wanted to get them out because they were messing up their church, messing up their synagogue, okay? And when they could not find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason, brand-new Christian, just gave his life to the Lord. They drug him out and some of the brothers before the city authorities. Look what they shouted, man. These men who have what? Yeah, say that again. These men who have done what? have come here also. Could you not think of a greater compliment as a Christian than to be the man that turned the world upside down? You turned the lost world upside down by bringing people to Christ. Man, what a compliment. They didn't mean it as a compliment. Terry, they know you as a, as a dude in the junkyards in Louisiana, from Louisiana all the way to Rotterdam. Where do you guys go? Amsterdam, you know, over to Europe. You are known worldwide as the man who has turned... The junkyard industry upside down with your giant scissors and cut cars in half. But with Christ, <laughs> with Christ, literally everywhere he puts you, no matter, I mean, I just pick on him because I love him, but second, because he's got such a unique ministry. But which one of you doesn't? And maybe you didn't look at it as a ministry. You viewed it as, well, this is my life, dude. This is like, no, I know they look at it as this is where God has put us. You know? Every one of you has your place where the master has put the lampstand. How many of y'all are tired of the place he's put you? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> he can put you in a different place. <laughs> and then you'd be like, can I go back to the other place? <laughs> it could always happen. My mom used to always say, it could always be worse. And I'm like, thanks for being positive, mom. <laughs> but she was right. Dude, the master of the lampstand has you exactly where he wants you. And wherever you are, you're an ambassador. And he wants to use you to turn it upside down. There's going to be some people pretty stoked and happy about it, and there's going to be some people that aren't, all right? That's just the way it always goes. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason, some of the brothers. These are the men who've turned the world upside down, and now they've come here also. Hey, so how did they know? Did they, did they, were they on other people's Facebook pages out of Philippi and out of... Iconium and all. How did they know that the world had been being turned upside down by Christians? Man, news travels, doesn't it? News travels, especially when you're talking about the Messiah and you're in God's world. So, and Jason, uh, they say now Jason, this guy Jason, which by the way is a, a form of the name Joshua, which is a form of the name Jesus. That's kind of interesting. Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying, there is another king, Jesus. All right, so this was a serious thing. Because check this out. If you go back and look in the book of Revelation and you study the seven churches, you will find that most of the persecution came from the church not being willing to worship Caesar. That's why most of the people were killed was because they wouldn't worship Caesar. Now listen to this. This is all they had to do most of the time. And you can Google up a dude named Polycarp, P-O-L-Y-C-A-R-P. It's not a plastic fish, but Polycarp, all right? That was one of the pastors. 
And, and he's got a great story of how he died. Google up his martyrdom, and it's just typical. Because what they were supposed to do once a year, if you were part of the Roman, uh, Roman Empire, you had Pax Romana, and you got all the benefits of Rome and being a Roman, is once a year you would grab some incense, and you would, you would sprinkle it, and you would say, Caesar is Lord. How hard is that? Come on, just to live and be able to keep our church going and to be able to keep sharing the gospel. Don't you think God would excuse us and allow us to just do that? Don't you think God would excuse it? Would God be okay if we grabbed some incense and said, Caesar's Lord? No. But that was the reason in many of the churches that even got rebuked in, uh, in the book of Revelation as part of one of the seven churches in there because they were willing to do it and they could justify it for business sake. But so many people died because they said, I am not going to say Caesar's Lord because Jesus is my Lord. And those were the martyrs. So anything against Caesar, especially saying he's another God or that Jesus is another king. But they didn't understand it's a spiritual king and it's not a king of this earth. It's a king. He's got another kingdom and another place. They couldn't understand that, but they tried to use that against them. And that's how most of the persecution happened. So this is a serious serious offense here and as soon as anybody heard oh my goodness they're saying there's another king we need to get rid of them because Thessalonica was a place that had their own gig going and as long as it was peaceful they didn't have too much problem with the Roman government but as soon as Rome heard anything was going on Rome would come in and mess things up so these people are like whoa what they're saying there's another king we better do something about this and the people, the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things because there's no worse thing you could hear. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. So here's what they did. They took Jason and said, Jason, pay us bond like a bail. OK, pay us bond. OK, and if you don't, if any more trouble happens, then you're then we get to keep this large sum of money that we just took from you. But if you get rid of these guys and you make sure there's no more trouble, we'll give you the money back. So guess what? They let him go based on Jason's bond payment right here. And, and then um, we're going to find out that Paul goes somewhere else. But again, this is how God moved Paul around. This is how he's always moved things around. You know, I'm not saying you've got to run every time there's trouble, but you've got to figure out what God wants you to do and stuff. So again, we see this again real super quick. This is going to be quicker than the first batch on this. But to turn the world upside down, you have to know what? What's right side up? Because if we now start agreeing with the world that upside down is the right is right side up, man, we're no better. If as a church we don't show them what's really right side up, if we don't study the scriptures, if we don't know what's the truth, and we're perpetrating a lie, we're promoting a lie, man, there's nothing worse the church could do. So to turn the world upside down, we have to know what is right side up. Here's where it happens again. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So here it was. Uh, he said, okay, I just paid a bunch of money. You cause any more trouble? Now, that doesn't mean the church ended there. In fact, you can read the two books that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, the two letters, First and Second Thessalonians. He loved them very much, and he encouraged them from that distance. And he left people back there to minister. But they got rid of Paul right away because that was the one thing that they needed to do. And so Paul needed to go somewhere else, according to God. So the brothers immediately, they sent Paul and Silas away at night to a place called Berea. Uh, I think I was about 30 miles away. And so 
dude, these guys walked everywhere <laughs> or rode horses. But think about 30 miles. You guys are going to go to lunch, right? Are you going to walk for 30? Now, Anna and Rich, they'll walk 30 miles, right? And they'll just call the marathon. Rich will give Anna a medal, right? <laughs> but I'm just saying, most of us, 30 miles is a long way away, right? And, and, but there they go. Okay, send them away. Let's go walk. Okay, Thir, uh, to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. See the pattern? There it is again. Hey, I was taught by Gamaliel. Can I talk? Yes, talk. By all means, we want to hear what you have to say. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. What do you think would make, what does it mean to be more noble? Anybody? They got the money. Oh, They're money? Okay, more noble. Jerry, what would you say is a word for, these are more noble. What's another word for noble? Higher character, I like that, higher character. Not better, but higher character. What made these people of higher character than the, than the new believers in Thessalonica? We learned, again, more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. And what's the next word? Examining, Examining the scriptures when? Daily. Daily to see if these things were so. So these guys didn't just go to church, take it in hook, line, and sinker, and say, blah, 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 boom. Everything they were taught, everything that came out of Pastor Eddie, if you studied everything that came out of my mouth, well, you wouldn't even have it done by next week, would you? <laughs> but I'm just saying, everything that came out of Paul and Silas's mouth, they studied with scriptures. They were saying, now tell us where you found this. Tell us what you mean here. Tell us about this. And so with <coughs> eagerness, they examined the scriptures daily. For what purpose? To see for themselves if it's true, how many of y'all ever been misled by a man or woman of God? Okay. Who's going to suffer the consequences of that? There will be repercussions for them. But let me ask you a question. Are you excused from the consequences because you were misled by someone of God? Not at all. You suffer. So you have a responsibility. It would only be prudent that you take the word of God and study for yourself what you think that person was saying. And know it in context, because as days go on, as we get closer to the end, in fact, you know, again, the end times is from Jesus' last coming to his next coming, and we're a couple thousand years into this, and I don't know how long it lasts. But we do know what Paul told Timothy is that things are going to get pretty whacked out where even the elect are going to be deceived. You better study. You better know that word better than you know any other book, any other test, Dustin. You better know it better in that test you're going to take tomorrow because it's got greater repercussions. By the way, y'all pray for Dustin tomorrow. Dustin, raise your hand. Stand up just so everybody can see you real quick. Dustin's taking an important test tomorrow. How many of y'all will commit to pray for him tomorrow? What time should we be praying for you? Uh, one o'clock. All right, you got it? We'll be praying with full mouth probably. But, but dude, you got to know the Bible better than you know that stuff for that test tomorrow. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things. That's what made them more noble was because they were willing to check it out because, dude, they were the ones going to have to suffer the consequences. They had been misled before. So many of them, therefore, as they studied scripture and listened to what Paul said about Jesus being the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for, and that he's risen from the dead, which is the gospel, therefore they believed. Because they saw the proof was in the pudding, the rubber met the road. It was, it was right there. Whatever Paul said, it was found in Scripture because that's what Paul was teaching out of. And they believed. They're like, yes, it lines up. Here it is. And the Holy Spirit was confirming it all. 
and with not a few Greek women, many of them therefore believed with not a few. What does not a few mean? A lot. <laughs> look who he always uses this phrase with. Would you look? <laughs> All right. For, with not a few what? Yeah. With a lot of Greek women of high standings as well as men. So, dude, there were a lot of women involved in all of this. Jesus did a lot more to liberate women than anyone in all of this. So, anyways, yeah, so a bunch of ladies got saved. A bunch of Greek men got saved. And guess what? Another church was started. This is how they started churches. And a church wasn't what we think of as a church. It's a body of believers, a group that's called out to be ambassadors, to live for the kingdom and represent the kingdom. And when people see what the kingdom's like, they're like, dang, can I come be a part of your kingdom? Yes. And we just simply invite them. No arm twisting, no holy headlock. Don't have to touch the back of their knees so they kneel and it makes it more appropriate. None of that. Dude, they hear the gospel, but they've seen it in our lives first. But again, remember, to the world, upside down is right side up. Last two verses. But when the Jews from Thessalonica, remember the Jews who were jealous before? They heard, 30 miles away, uh, Berea, they heard what was happening. When the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there too, agitating and stirring up crowds. That the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. In fact, they're going to ship him off, and next week we pick the story up when he's in Athens. He's in Greece. And some big things happen there. But Silas and Timothy remain there to basically strengthen the believers and to disciple them. So why does Paul keep leaving? What's the carnal reason of why Paul keeps leaving? What's a, what, if the world looks at it, why is Paul leaving? Because he keeps getting kicked out, right? But the godly explanation of why Paul keeps leaving is what? God keeps moving the lampstand wherever he wants it. You understand that wherever you're at, that's where God's got the lampstand. Hey, Carl, man, you, you had that aneurysm a few years back. Can God move a lampstand pretty quick if he wants to? Yeah. Man, take advantage of where he's got the lampstand right now. And I'm not saying it's going to get worse. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, make sure you've done all you can do where you're at right now because he can move that lampstand anywhere he wants it, anytime he wants. And, that, and we're on the clock for him. We're here for such a short period of time. So those who con uh, conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. We're going to look at that next week. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So after he left some of those guys there to strengthen the people in Berea, he went to Athens. Now he's going to bring the whole team back together to evangelize this new area in Athens. So here's the final parting thoughts that you guys have already had. To turn the world upside down, you have to know what? Yeah. Because think about what Paul was doing before when he was killing Christians. He was trying to turn the world upside down, but in the wrong direction. It's important if we're going to turn the world upside down, we personally know what is right side up. But remember, to the world, upside down is right side up. All you got to do is watch the news to see that. How many of y'all just look at things that you see our legislators, you see our politicians, you see our media, you see our, 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 our marketing, you see all these things going on that you just shake your head and say, no. <coughs> Anybody done that in the last week? You shake your head and say, no. Because to the world, upside down is right side up. And if they're ever going to get 
their world turned upside down, which is the right way, it's going to be through us because that's what God's left us here to do. So here's, my, here's what God's told me to do. And this is what I'm supposed to tell you to do. Let's go turn the world upside down. Father, thank you for loving us. Um, thank you for giving us this word. Thank you for giving us this pattern we see in Paul. Thank you for the book of Acts and showing us how the church got started and how the church can continue. And um, Father, I, I just pray that your Holy Spirit uh, will take some part of this message and put it in each of our hearts. Father, uh, it's like you've just thrown out a big old giant T-bone steak, porterhouse steak, and, and we're little babies. We, we could choke on it if unless you take it up and cut it up into the right size pieces for us. Would you, Father, take whatever size piece we're able to digest, and would you feed that to us? And would you allow us to chew it up all day and receive nourishment from it and apply it to our lives? Father, we want to represent you. We want to be ambassadors for your kingdom here, but we want to lead people in the right way, and this world's going in such a wrong way. So, Father, I just pray that you would teach us what's the right way and you'd use us to turn this world upside down, even the little world that's just around us. I pray that if today there's somebody that's not sure that they've got a home in heaven, they're not positive, but when they die, they're going there. If you came back, which you're going to at some point, they're not positive that they're going with you. They don't know they have an intimate relationship with you. Father, I pray you give them a desire they can't refuse to have that intimate relationship with you. Give them the ability to believe that you lived a perfect life. You died on a cross to pay for their sins. You were killed. You were buried. You were dead and dead. And, and then you raised yourself up. And that same power that you used to raise yourself up, you want to give to them so they can be spiritually alive forever with you. And the reason we need that is because we're sinners. And we can't pay for our sins. We need someone perfect to do that for us. So Father, if someone can understand that today, I pray you would turn their world upside down. Father, I think back of Christmas 87 and then in June 27, 1988, how you turned my world upside down with this gospel. And you're continuing to do it. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.